Well, it's good to see you. So glad that you are here for this first week in our new series about finishing well. Let me give you a little bit of some orientation to what this uh, series will be about over the next five or six weeks or so. Uh, This will take us all the way to Advent, which is right around the corner. It's hard to believe, but uh, the end of the year is almost here. Christmas is almost here. So this series, Finishing Well, is, as I said earlier, focused on how we as people of faith can approach the transitions of life and the endings of life, both with confidence, but also with purpose. This is born out of a desire to accomplish a couple of things. But first, let me tell you how we're going to approach it. So this week, uh, we're going to dive into scripture here in just a moment and talk about, from a big picture standpoint, an approach, a perspective that we can adopt before we continue on in the series. But beginning next week, each week we'll focus on a different transition of life, ranging from things like retirement to the loss of a spouse, the decline of our health, leaving home, new beginnings, uh, and then even death, how we as people of faith can do that. For a long time, centuries ago, people would often say that the primary task of a pastor is to prepare people for a good death, that ministry was about the work of living well so that we could die well. We'll talk more about that along the way. But one of the things we're going to do differently is that each of these weeks, aside from today, those conversations will be facilitated in part by you. We have a few months ago recorded long-form interviews with different members of our church, and we'll get to play for you a snippet of that on each Sunday. And our hope is that then that uh, following those Sundays, either that same Sunday or on Monday, we'll release to you the audio, the podcast version of the whole conversation. So if that strikes a particular note for you, um, resonates with you deeply, then we'd love for you to be able to join that longer conversation. There's some really great things here. Next week, we'll start with retirement. What does that mean for people of faith like us to walk away from work, whether it's by our choice or our employer's choice? How can we say goodbye? How can we finish well in our careers? And I'll be joined by John Olive for that conversation, and we'll talk about what that was like for him to step away from coaching and a lot of things that he learned along the way. It's a great conversation, and I hope you'll come be a part of that with us next week. This series, though finishing well, this idea of what does it mean for us to have good endings in our life, uh, was born from a, a couple of different things. One, the recognition that endings come to us whether we want them to or not. And sometimes they are our choice, and sometimes they are not. And what does that mean for us? How do we as people of faith prepare for those endings, even if it's an ending that we're not quite ready for, that we don't want to happen? And that's difficult work, and it's a long work, as we will see this morning. Often, preparing for an ending takes years, if not decades, to cultivate our life, to nurture our soul, to be responsive for those goodbyes. This reminded me of 
some time I had years ago in middle school and early high school when I ran cross country. Any long distance runners in the room? by choice or not, right? Um, For me, cross-country was not the best experience. I ran cross-country 7th, 8th, and I think ninth grade, and I had a few things uh, working against me in my cross-country experience. Uh, I was a decent runner. I was kind of middle of the pack, but there's a few things that made it a little extra difficult for me. The first was that we didn't know it at the time, but we, our cross-country team in my grade at school, were blessed with a really exceptional runner and athlete. His name was Andrew, and he went on years later not only to run in college, but then he uh, competed in the Olympic trials and became a professional runner for Nike. And so he was already demonstrating quite a bit of talent in 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, which meant for the rest of us, we paled in comparison to Andrew and his running. But we still had a good time. The second thing I had uh, going against me was, that, as you may remember, talking about my middle school years, I was a small guy for a long time. So I was about 5 feet, 5 feet 1, 5 feet 2, uh, probably until 10th or 11th grade. So in 7th, 8th, and ninth grade, I was running on some short legs at that point, right? And so it was tough for me to keep pace. And the third thing I had going against me was that uh, at the time, uh, I wasn't, uh, the concept of nutrition was pretty foreign to me as a middle schooler. The scripture says you cannot live on bread alone, but it doesn't say anything about living on chicken fingers. And so I put that to the test in much of my middle school years, right? So I had a lot of things that I uh, didn't, didn't uh, contribute to me enjoying the sport so much. But I remember I had this experience in cross country. Maybe some of you who run, even who run today, had this experience where I would get on the bus and I loved being with my teammates. I had practice was fine, but I really just didn't like the competition. And so I would get on the bus uh, to go drive to the cross country course or wherever around town we were competing. And the one thing I was so focused on was I couldn't wait for the race to be over. I just couldn't wait. I was just counting down the time to say, okay, well, if my race time starts here, it's going to take me this long. And so by 4.54, like, I will be done with this terrible experience I'm about to endure. And so I just couldn't wait to be done racing. I just did not enjoy it, which in retrospect was pretty sad. But truth be told, you may be a person that runs and enjoys it, but truth be told, probably all of us have at some point in some sphere of our life looked at the race that was laid out in front of us and could only focus on one thing. How do I get this over with? When will I get through it? Now, it may not be always, but at least for a moment, for a day, or perhaps for always, we have spent a part of our life just wishing for it to be over. I can't wait until I can get through work today. I can't wait until I can get that next job. I can't wait until I can get through school. I can't wait to be on my own. I can't wait until the kids are old enough to go to school. I can't wait until they're out of the house. I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And we spend a large portion of our life wishing for the race to be over. But the reality is, as people of faith, we are called to something fundamentally different, 
fundamentally opposite of that, which is to embrace the race or the races set before us with intention and with purpose. If you've got a copy of Scripture, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. I'm going to read for us just eight verses, but as I do, a quick reminder, if it's been a minute since you've been in 2 Timothy or thought about 2 Timothy, we are joining Paul, who's writing this letter uh, late in his life, to a young uh, apprentice of sorts of his named Timothy. And Paul is in a really hard, a really dark place. He is most likely imprisoned writing to Timothy, requesting that Timothy leave his current mission and work, pick up a few of his personal things, including his letters and a coat, because winter is coming, and they won't provide him a coat, and will come and join him as quickly as possible. Paul is abandoned. He is currently on trial, and the trial is not going well. And Paul believes that this may be the end for him. And while we don't know for sure, that seems to be the case that this is one of the last letters written by Paul before his death in Rome. And so we're coming to Paul, both in a hard place, a dark place, but also at the end of things. And here he is writing to Timothy, who is at the beginning. And what we will find, as I said earlier this morning, is that as people of faith, for us to finish well, to complete what God has given us to complete, at various stages in our life. The best way to do that is not when the ending is upon us. In some ways, that can almost be too late. But for us to finish well, we have to begin well. So we're going to read some of Paul's advice for Timothy here at the end of the letter, and then we will unpack it together. Okay, let me read for us. 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 8. And then we will start and work our way backwards, okay? But pay attention. What does finishing well and beginning well have in common? Paul says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me... My life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So let's start at the end and work our way backwards. Paul is writing, saying, I'm done. The end is here. My death is approaching. But he can with confidence say, I fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I remained faithful. That in Paul's mind, the 
mentality, the framework that he has, the definition for a good finish is this. I have fought the good fight. Interesting language here, right? He doesn't say, I have fought all the fights. I have fought and won all the fights. No, what does he say? He says, I fought the good fights. I fought the right fights. I fought what I was supposed to fight. And perhaps in a way, I didn't fight what I was not supposed to fight. I fought the good fights, he says. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. I didn't abandon the race. I didn't give up. I didn't lose my way. But I finished the race that was in front of me and I remained faithful. I did so in a way that allowed me to retain who I am. I didn't lose myself along the way. I didn't sacrifice something along the way. I didn't, I didn't uh, lose my sense of identity in that way. It reminds me of Sir Thomas More in A Man for All Seasons when he talks about a man making an oath. And if he were to break that oath, he is like a man who is holding himself in his hands like water. And when he breaks an oath, he opens his fingers and he is never able to find himself again. It's that idea, that mentality that I have not only finished the race, I have done the work that's in front of me, but I was able to be faithful to who I am in that way. And so that's the advice, that's the idea that Paul feels is essential here at the end, the last words, the last letter that he sends to Timothy. He hopes to see Timothy again, but he may not. We don't know if he ever did. But in this letter, he says, let me encourage you with this, Timothy. My end is near, but yours is not. So here's what I can say to you, Timothy, here at the end. I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and I remain faithful in that work. For us, I don't know about you, but when I think about those endings in my life, when I think about the school that I've been privileged enough to enjoy, when I think about the work that I have in front of me, when I think about the relationships as a spouse or as a parent, as a son, uh, as a brother, when I think about the friendships that I have, the responsibility in my community, the participation in the life of a church, that when I think about all those different races, all those different spheres of life, it's not a bad goal to have. To say, I ran each of those races to the end and I remained faithful to myself and to the work that God has given for me. But as Paul says, leading up to verses 6, 7, and 8, this is difficult, complex work. You and I know how easy it is to shift from running the race with endurance to just getting by, to just wishing for it to be over, to setting the bar so low that it's just about getting through it and getting it over with. What a missed opportunity just like a missed opportunity I had all those years ago. So how are we to do that? What does Paul suggest to Timothy? Well, first, what he wants to say to him is bumping back up. 
a few verses earlier where he says to him, verse 2, preach the word of God, be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. He says, do the work that God has given you to do. That's step one. How do you finish well? You do presently what God has given you to do, whatever that may be. For Timothy, it's ministry, it's proclamation. But for you, it might be hanging with the kids. It might be investing in a spouse. It might be serving in your church, volunteering in your community. It might be doing the work of school. It might be showing up to practice, prepared, whatever that work may be for you. Paul says the first step is to be prepared to do it well. Don't just wing it. Don't just skate by, but take it seriously. Prepare for it just as you would a race. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Then he goes on and sort of dovetails into some broader themes of 2 Timothy 3 and 4. But then he gets to verse 5, which I think is perhaps most helpful for us this morning. And he lays out four things for Timothy to do as he begins to sort of pivot into this conversation of saying, look, Timothy, if you want to be able to finish well, if you, like me, want to come to the end of things, whatever that may be, the end of your ministry, the end of your family, the end of your life, and you want to be able to say, I did it well, I finished well, then let me encourage you to do four things in verse five. He says there, be, but you should Keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. Now let's unwind that for just a bit, one at a time. You should keep a clear mind. Perhaps if you're reading a different translation, it says keep a sober mind. What does Paul mean by that? Well, yes, he probably literally means, yes, make sure you're sober along the way. That's helpful. It's a good step one when you're approaching this work, much less running a race, right, to continue the metaphor. But what he means by that literally, or perhaps more specifically, is that I want you to have a wise and clear mind in your word and deed. So whatever race is in front of you, whatever ending you're contemplating, make sure that you are approaching it with clarity. Seek wisdom in it, in your word and in deed. Don't just wing it. Don't just skate by here. Next, he says, be prepared to endure suffering, suffering for the Lord. That what we have been given as people of faith is in some ways unique and not unique. When you look out at your community, when you look out at your friends, when you look out at your life, in many ways, it's going to look like a lot of other people's lives. You might be in that, depending on your stage of life, you're going to say, well, I'm uh, raising a family, I'm building a career. Maybe if you're younger, you're saying, I'm getting through school, contemplating what's next, finishing high school or going to college, going on to grad school, whatever that may be. Where you're saying, okay, I've now raised my family, I've launched my kids, I'm an empty nester again. I'm sorting out what's it like for me to either do that single or with a spouse. Perhaps a few years later on, you're saying, okay, I'm stepping into retirement like my cohort around me, my colleagues and friends are retiring too. 
And then eventually later in life, you get to that place where you're saying, okay, well, I'm beginning to say goodbye. I'm beginning to enter into the last season, the last chapter of my life. And in many ways, that looks like every other person in some way, shape, or form in our cohort. But there's a difference. There's a difference between us as people of faith and those who are not people of faith. It's not exactly what we do or the season of life that we're in, but it's the way that we navigate through that season of life. Christians and non-Christians both get married. Christians and non-Christians both raise families. Christians and non-Christians build a career or start a business, but the way that we do it, the way that we start it, the way that we maintain it, and the way that ultimately we finish it should fundamentally look different. And so for Paul, that's innate, that's ingrained in his communication to Timothy. He says, what you do, be prepared to endure suffering for the Lord, that you're calling on your life, the way that you are asked to be in the world will inevitably come with trial. It will come with difficulty. This way of life, this following after Jesus will entail suffering. Do not shy away from it. There is so much of that pressure. Our plates are so full, our calendars are so full, and the temptation is so high to avoid suffering at all cost. At all cost. But what Paul says is that if you want to run well, if you want to remain faithful, integrated, heart, mind, soul, and strength, then you need to be prepared to push yourself. You talk to anybody that's run a marathon or a half marathon or just down the street, right? There is a moment that comes where you have to decide, am I willing to endure suffering for this race? Am I willing to push myself to do it? Some of you may know, it reminds me of a, a pretty well-known, a fairly famous um, quote from, from Nick Saban at Alabama where he says, there's only two types of pain. There's the pain of discipline and the pain of disappointment. There's the pain of discipline or the pain of disappointment. Now, um, I think that's a good binary. There's obviously a lot more pain in life in the world than that. But his point is that we have a choice. Just as anybody does that's running a race or preparing for a game or investing in their kids or growing a career or loving a spouse. Will we choose the discipline of hard work, the pain, the suffering, the sacrifice that those things require to do it well? Or will we delay it to eventually experience the pain of disappointment? That's a fundamental choice for us. But Paul says, if you're going to do this right, if you want to be able to fight the good fight and finish the race, remain faithful, you've got to approach your work, your calling, your mission with clarity, with sobriety, with wisdom and purpose. You've got to be willing to push through the difficult days. You've got to know that that's where the growth happens Endure suffering for the Lord, for the Lord's calling on your life. Third, he says, next, do the work of an evangelist. 
literally there in verse 5. He says, do the work of telling others the good news. That in this work, whatever that may be, whatever season of life you're in, whatever work is in front of you, are you integrating the good news into what you're doing and how you're doing it? If you're volunteering at the library, if you're showing up to something at church, if you're disciplining your kids, if you're pursuing your spouse, if you're studying for a test, if you're showing up to practice on the field, are you bringing the good news with you? Are you leveraging those relationships, that opportunity to bring your faith to the foreground of the race or races that God has given you? And then fourth, he says finally, at the end of verse five, and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This is the, the same idea that's kind of ingrained in verse two, where he says, are you doing it fully? Are you bringing the fullness of who you are. Now, I think Paul would be the first to say, we're not going to always do that perfectly. It's not that every moment of every day, I am the best version of myself in every sphere of life. Of course not. But that's also why we as people of faith find our hope and trust in something outside of ourselves. That I know I cannot be the parent I long to be. I can't be the pastor I'm supposed to be. I can't be the neighbor or friend I am supposed to be if it's all up to me. And so I find my hope and my trust in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus is calling me, is equipping me to run the race that's set before me. Sometimes those races are the races we've chosen, we've prepared for, we've longed for and dreamed for. Sometimes the races that are in front of us are the last thing we would want. It's running a race with a chronic illness. It's walking alongside a spouse whose health is declining. It's navigating a career that we wish we could change, but we remain faithful to because of the provision it provides our family. There are races, again, that we choose and races that we don't. But in each of those, it is nevertheless the race that is set before us, the race set before you, the race set before me. And Paul says, if you want to do this well, Timothy, if you want to at least have the comfort that I have, which is perhaps about the only comfort that Paul truly has, he's alone, in jail, sick, abandoned. And yet he says, I have hope confidence. My life has been poured out. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've remained faithful. And that is enough. But we do that with how we pursue the work before the end. We do it with clarity. We do it with purpose. We do it with the good news. And we do it with a commitment to push through the challenges that it brings. At the root of all that Paul teaches, at the root of all he's trying to leave to Timothy one last time, is that promise of verse eight. That I've done these things, I've finished well, 
And now the prize awaits for me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. It's not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Not a bad place to be. Not a bad perspective to have the lowest of the low at the end of a life, but to say, I've run my race and I cannot wait for what is to come. So that's the hope for these conversations that are to come. That how do we, like Paul and Timothy here, share this information? That ultimately what we see here is Paul someone further along in his faith journey, someone further along in his ministry journey, someone further along in life saying, I've learned some things. I've got some wounds. I carry some scars. But let me tell you, when I'm facing the end, this is what I think really matters. I'm going to tell you my story so that it can impact your story now. I want my ending to impact your beginning And so that's what the next five or six weeks for us will be like as a church, that we're incorporating the stories and the testimonies of our people who have walked through these different endings. And the conversations are great. As I said before, we've uh, recorded them a few months ago, and there's a lot of great stuff there. And if you're just a curious person and you want to know more about these folks that you're sharing life with in church, there's a great way to do that. There's a lot of great wisdom for us to mine. But how do we do that? How How can I be the kind of person decades from now that uh, when my career is over, I can look back and say, I finished that well. I ended that well. How can I be the kind of person that when God puts a new opportunity in front of me, I can say goodbye to the place that I love, the place I grew up, the community that fostered me so that I can have a new beginning? How can I, as a person of faith, walk through the end of a marriage, whether it's through death or through divorce? How can I, as a person of faith, walk through saying goodbye to my good health? What does it mean for me to be a person that finishes well that race and enters into a new race of a more complex and fragile health? Which is a journey many of us, if not most of us, will take at some point. And then ultimately, how do we as people of faith prepare for that final goodbye, that final end of death? How can we as people of faith enter into that season of death? Well, with hope, like Paul, but also with confidence and with gratitude that we ran the race well. That's what's in store for us. That's the hope for us this week. And I think it makes all the difference. Not just because it's going to be interesting and maybe helpful and you write some notes down and stick them in your Bible and 30 years later you pull them out, but hopefully because you'll be saying, I've learned some things on the way that I want to change today so that I can enjoy that ending tomorrow. So what do we do for now, though, as we start these conversations? How can we begin individually and collectively as a family to reorient, to chart a different course to get us to that place, that place that Paul was enjoying at the end of his life? Well, here's a few questions for reflection to get us started on that journey. First, 
Let me encourage you this week to ask yourself, how have I handled endings in my past? Maybe when I went to school or left for home, left home, or um, navigated something by choice or not? How have I handled endings in my past? And what can I learn from those experiences, particularly about myself? Next, what do I feel is my God-given work to do? Is it the same or different from my career? And then ask, does the way I show up in family, work, church, you name it, whatever sphere of life sticking out to you, does the way I show up reflect the ending I desire? What do you want people to say at your funeral? Who do you want to be at your funeral? Does that ending coincide with your present? Are you on that same journey? Good question to ask. A couple ways to act on this this week, to start that journey, which is it's tough, it's painful, it's scary, but Scripture promises us it is possible. Paul was not some superhuman, some superhero that we can look at and say, man, that must be nice, but that's not for me. No, he says, look, this Jesus way of being in the world, this gospel way, is not for one or two of us, but for all of us. So God has granted you and me spheres of responsibility, family, community, church, work. Pick one that feels maybe the most challenging. Is there a, a race in your life that you feel most challenged to just get through? Are you just getting through work with the bare minimum? Are you overextended when it comes to the kids? Are you neglecting your spouse? Choose one. Examine Paul's four ways of engaging in the work that we've talked about and make a plan to embody that, to start small steps to engage it. And then begin to evaluate, reflect, and grow. Do it individually. Keep a journal. Take notes. Do it in community. Involve your family, your spouse. Engage a small group here. Finally, a prayer where we end and at the same time where we should always begin. This is a prayer I wrote for me and also for you this week. It says, God, into your hands I commend my end. I relinquish to you my ultimate end, my death, but also the endings of all that I have and will have. I offer to you the work I love, the seasons of life I cherish, and the things I hold dear. And so too do I offer you those things I carry with weight and regret. For all of us carry a mixture of both. May you grant me the courage to risk new beginnings, the strength to run the races set before me, and the gratitude to give thanks in all things. Help me to live faithful to the person you've made me to be, the work you have entrusted to me, and the calling you have placed upon me. I'm going to invite our worship team back up, and as we get ready to end our service today, let me encourage you, as I said earlier during our call to worship, to 
view this as an invitation to a beginning, this conversation about endings. That for many of us in our day and time, life is so complex, it is so busy, it is so difficult, there is so much uh, hurt in us and around us that it is all too easy to just switch on to autopilot, to put our heads down, to set the bar at survival, and to just make it through. And sometimes that's where we're at. Sometimes that's a season. But for many of us, if we're not careful, we switch to autopilot, and it's not until years later, decades later, that we wake up and say, man, what happened? How did I get here? How did this happen to me? This wasn't the journey I wanted, but it's definitely not the destination that I wanted. Scripture likes to use the image of faith as the act of becoming awake to God, of waking up to God. And part of that faith journey as we, as followers of Jesus, is that we too not only become awake to God, but that we become awake to ourselves. That the gospel is an invitation to wake up to the beauty of this world, to this one wild and precious life that we have. And one of the most clarifying things we can do, one of the greatest journeys we can go on, is to begin with the end in mind. A beginning and an ending and a journey in between rooted in the gospel and in the transforming power of Jesus. This morning you may be feeling like, you know what, I've had too many losses. There's been too much time that's been wasted. There's too much pain that's accumulated, too many mistakes that I've made. And while I can't speak to every story, I can't speak to every circumstance, I can hold on to the hope for you that in Christ and through Christ, all things can be made new again. That in the kingdom of God, when Christ is invited in, time is never wasted. There is the promise of a new beginning. If you need to talk to somebody this morning, you can come find me. There's people available at our prayer table in the back. We would love to start a conversation with you about this Jesus who makes all things new, who invites us into new adventures, who helps us to run the race with endurance. And if you're perhaps in that place where you know Jesus, but you don't know how to take that next step, you don't know how to get back on to that new beginning, We'd love to talk to you about that as well. But as we said this morning, may we begin with the recognition that in him all life has come and all light is possible. Let's stand together and sing.